Coaches, welcome to the Championship Vision Podcast. Coach Kevin Furtado. Hey, if you want to know who are the best high school basketball coaches and leaders in our country are, you need to stay tuned and listen to the Championship Vision Podcast. We have some of the most renowned and best high school basketball coaches and PE teachers from around the country. Coaches you might not have heard of, but have amazing ideas. And I firmly believe every coach in America has genius within them. It's not all about the state championships. It's about the impact you have on your kids and your community. So stay tuned to the Championship Vision Podcast. Coaches, this is episode 238 of the Championship Vision Podcast. I'm so excited to have uh, Coach Brian McCormick. Uh, matter of fact, uh, Brian, I still have your great ball handling DVD. <laughs> I, I still use your drills, brother. So um, one of the best DVDs I ever got. I just want to tell you, that's where I learned a lot uh, about handles and so forth. But uh, you put out a lot of stuff on for coaches on player development system i was just reading over again your salva system all that great stuff man you're really a bright mind you're such an innovative mind in the game of basketball we need more guys like you uh, hey welcome to the podcast and tell us a little bit about what you're doing now and your journey in coaching all right well thank you very much uh your introduction is too kind um glad to see that dvd is still out there um, I kid you not, I don't even have a copy myself. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I've coached a bunch of places, a bunch of different levels. Um, you know, I just, I kind of got started. Um, you know, I wasn't a very good player. Um, and I just started coaching and, and really, you know, I mean, when I was in college, I was, I coached all the way through college, really. Um, you know, and I kind of started with Special Olympics, honestly, um, you know, because we had a, a campus Special Olympics program. And that's what I was I started with when I was a freshman in college. And then I really uh, stayed in, in coaching because I, I went to school in Los Angeles. I didn't want to go home for the summer. So I needed a summer job. So I took a job coaching at a camp um, all summer. And so I did like, you know, a typical 10 week all sport. Uh, 10 or 12 week, whatever it was, all sport, you know, day camp, you know, kind of eight to five uh, kind of camp. And, and uh, a woman there uh, that was kind of in charge of the little kids, um, she then 
called me up at the beginning of my sophomore year of college and and talked me into coming over and coaching her middle school. And so I started with middle school volleyball, even though I'd never played volleyball on the team. Um, and I showed up the first day. I honestly thought that I had agreed uh, to coach basketball. And so I showed up the first day and the volleyball net was still across the court. Uh, we were, you know, we were out, outdoors on the playground. So, you know, I pull up and basically park right next to the court. And, uh, you know, I walk on and I see the volleyball and I'm like, uh, you know, would you like, would do you need me to help you, you know, take down the net? And she's like, what are you talking about? You're, you're probably going to need that. And I was like, I thought I was here for basketball. She's like, no, it's volleyball. <laughs> I'm like, well, I've never coached volleyball before. She's like, it's fine. You know how to coach. You'll be fine. Um, and so I stayed there a couple of years. You know, I coached their volleyball, then basketball, then volleyball in the spring and stuff. And, you know, I mean, for a while, I just kind of moved up, you know, a level every year. You know, there I was fifth and sixth graders and the next year, seventh and eighth graders and, then, uh, you know, a girl that I played intramural volleyball with, you know, I, I started playing volleyball, so I knew how to coach it. And a girl on our intramural volleyball team, she was coaching AAU basketball. And so she's like, you should come coach AAU basketball with us. So I started coaching AAU basketball and that, you know, then I started, then I got, you know, on at a high school, you know, and from there, you know, I, my first year out of college, I was a college assistant. Um, and just kind of worked up from there, went to Europe a couple of times, came back, coached, went back over to Europe, um, you know, coached some high school head coach, you know, JV freshman, um, you know, spent a couple of years where I was just a skills trainer, uh, you know, primarily in Sacramento, you know, I just, uh, California, I just worked with, uh, you know, some players, you know, um, doing skills, mostly shooting instruction and, um, so, I mean, I've done, I've done a lot of different things, you know, I've been to a lot of different places for clinics and teams and so on and so forth. Um, you know, and in, during that time, uh, you know, especially when I started the, the individual training, I realized, you know, there's only so many hours a day you can train players, uh, you know, so your, your income is somewhat limited unless you just want to continually, you know, raise, raise the price that you charge. Um, and so that's when I started writing books again. And, you know, so I put out, um, and that's actually when I did the DVD with Brian. Um, but, you know, I started writing some books and I've, I've got about 20 books out now, I think, um, for coaches and players. Yeah, I, I just love your mind, man. I, I just, I, I love it because I consider myself, I, I like to think differently than everybody else, how I practice, how I do things. Um, where did you find out you have a different mind for basketball? It's not like the standard, you know, practice setting system, all that. Where did you kind of learn like, hey, you know what? I need to teach the game differently. That's why I think it's so cool about you. Uh, I really think, you know, that whatever, you know, differences I have, um, it's, it's from, you know, my early experience coaching. You know, I didn't, I didn't start like, you know, everybody else, you know, I, I started as a head coach, you know, I mean, I, I probably coached five or six teams before I was ever an assistant coach, you know, and, and, you know, coaching volleyball, you know, like I said, I'd never played on a volleyball team. I had to, I had to make stuff up. And, you know, this was back, you know, in the late nineties, it's not like now where you can go on, you know, Google or YouTube and find, you know, a thousand drills to run. Like, you know, I mean, you had to search hard, sure. you know, to find, to find, you know, books or whatever. Um, you know, so, I mean, so I took that kind of mindset, like I just made stuff up, 
you know, that just made sense to me on the volleyball court. And then when I started coaching basketball, it's kind of the same thing. You know, I mean, some of the drills, you know, from that DVD, um, I made up because I, I, I used to work with this girl. Um, she was on her AAU team. She was nine, 10 years old at the time named Monica DeAngelis. And she was kind of known, you know, she had her own, you know, personal trainer that she worked with, but I, I was worked with her on her AAU team. And she was the smallest player on our team. She ended up going, she played at Loyola Marymount in Hawaii. And now she's a trainer herself, I believe. Um, but I mean, when she was nine years old, like her handles were ridiculous. And so I would go with her and then I was training a girl on her team. So when I, I would have to go and like, learn new things because I had never done drills like that when you know when I was a player um so I would go and I would like mess around and try to think of different drills you know okay what do I want to prove okay how could I create a drill you know to do it you know and again I couldn't just go on YouTube and find something I had to you know kind of create it myself mm -hmm. and so that's what I did you know because I needed by the time I first coached her when she was nine years old she could do anything that I had ever done you know, in practice as a player, you know, like I said, cause I didn't really do very many, you know, ball handling drills or anything when I was growing up. So, you know, I had to come up with new ways to challenge her, um, you know, and then, so I just, I just think that mindset of, of not really having, you know, this reservoir of, of experience and having to kind of invent things on my own. And, you know, then I had other opportunities that are different, you know, I mean, I, when I was, um, between high school and college, I went to Europe for a year as an exchange student. And so I ended up playing on a team there. And that's actually the first team I coached. I coached a like under 15 team, um, you know, as I was playing on the under 19s, you know, and I was coaching the 15s. And, uh, you know, I mean, we started out, we only had eight or nine guys when I started. And then, you know, by the, by the end of the season, we had like 20, 22 guys coming to practice, you know, and like, 16 and 17 year olds were trying to lie about their age and come to our practice because same thing I would just make stuff up and most of the the town that I lived in um in Sweden <clears throat> at the time you know this is right after um or you know still during the Balkan Wars and so a lot of the players um in my town or a lot of the people in my town and for whatever reason I don't really know but um it was a heavy um you know refugee or immigrant uh, town and so a lot of them came from, you know, a lot of the guys on my team were Serbian, Bosnian. Um, you know, I had a, a player from Poland. I had one from China. I had, um, you know, two from Iran, uh, you know, and, and so um, none of them spoke English as their first language. Um, they didn't even speak English as their second language. You know, they, they spoke, you know, Farsi or, or Serbian or wherever they were from. Then they learned Swedish so they could, you know, get by in school and then they learned English. So, I mean, when I would teach things, it'd be like two levels of translation. I'd be speaking to whoever understood a little bit of English and he would be translating it back, you know, to Serbian or whatever to the other kids. You know, so it was a lot of learning how to coach without doing a lot of talking. You know, I had to create drills to teach things instead of just, you know, using a lot of words because, I had no idea whether or not they could understand my words. Um, and then I think one of the, one of the um, things that really changed how I coached, um, I, I coached at the old superstar camp in San Diego. Um, it's probably around 2002 or 2003. And I had a girl on my team who was deaf. And so it really, um, 
made me concentrate on how I was giving, you know, feedback during games, uh, you know, because I had to make sure that she had eye contact before I said anything. And then a couple years later, excuse me, a couple years later, I, I coached a high school team and I had another girl who was deaf, you know, on that team. And so same thing, you just get, you know, you don't realize how often as a coach, you just start talking or yelling things and players aren't paying attention to you. Sure. They're not looking at you, you know, and so you can never be sure whether they hear you or not, whether they're listening, whether they're understanding. And so when, when I had that opportunity um, and I really had to focus, okay, she's looking at me. Okay. Now I can, you know, speak and I have to be very clear because she's reading my lips. Um, you know, again, it just, I think it just changed the way that I looked at coaching and I looked at feedback and I looked at, you know, how much feedback is really necessary and when feedback is appropriate and, and things like that. So I just think that, you know, I, I'm, you know, atypical in how I learned how to coach, you know, I didn't take the typical, you know, get a mentor, learn as an assistant coach, progress up the ranks kind of thing. I kind of, you know, jumped both feet in. Uh, right from the beginning and just started making stuff up and sticking with whatever seemed to work. Yeah, I love that. And I, what I love is you're, you're kind of learning, I guess, different learning modes of kids, right? Every kid, every kid learns differently. Just like, and I want to introduce uh, coach Mike Griggs, a uh, good friend of mine. Um, he's one, to me, he's one of the best trainers at, and I, and I agree with even what Mike says. He is the top shooting coach in Georgia. So I definitely agree with that. He is going to produce some great shooters out of Walnut Grove. You just watch. <laughs> um, I want to introduce Mike Griggs. And Mike, I, I want you, to, you guys to delve in and have a little two-way conversation on, on player development right now. It, I mean, because I've seen all sorts of different types of player development going on. I want you guys to kind of share thoughts. And Mike, hey, do you have a question for Brian? Because I know you know Brian really well. What is your question for him as far as kind of getting this conversation going about player development? Well, I, uh, hey, Brian, it's good to see you, buddy. Yeah, good to <laughs> and, see you. And, and Kevin, it's pretty good to see you too. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate another invite on after I went so long last time. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a lot of notes. But one of the questions <laughs> I really have uh, you know, because I do a lot of shooting uh, instruction and, uh, you know, we you see a lot and I, I try not to get my players to think, you know, to copy pros so much, you know, it's because most of the kids I deal with are middle school up through, you know, college uh, and, you know, they're not little pros and we can't train them that way. And uh, and so. What I'm thinking about as far as shooting goes, you know, we have we talk about getting game shots. And, you know, we say game shots, game spots, game speed. Uh, I kind of like to use the word game pace because to me, the connotation of speed is like almost all out and you just don't play all out all the time. But going with the shots, you know, if we're trying to get our kids to take, to make the decision and to me, you know, shot selection is the most important decision a kid can make on the court. And you make it multiple times, obviously. And if we're trying to get kids to take wide open shots, uncontested shots, then is it absolutely, and I know that doesn't always happen, but is it, how important is it to practice shooting 
with a defender mm -hmm. if we're really trying to get open shots? Is that defender really needed if we're trying to get him? Can they just, with a gun or Dr. Dish, just do the catch and shoot shots without a defender, since that's what we're really trying to get them to take? Hmm. Yeah, well, I would say, um, first thing to me, uh, you know, I differentiate, you know, technique and skill. Um, and so for me, skill within a, a team sport includes all the different components that ultimately affect success. And so that's going to be, you know, the physical components, technical, tactical, psychological, emotional, et cetera. And so if we're talking about game shots, uh, you know, we want to have as many of those uh, constraints or things that are going to affect success in a game uh, present in those shooting drills. And so, you know, it's, it's very difficult to recreate the, uh, you know, emotional response of what it's like to shoot in front of a big crowd or to shoot, uh, you know, a game winning shot. So, it's, you know, th that's to me kind of the, you know, the hardest one that we're going to ever get into a, a, you know, practice setting. And, you know, for a professional player, you know, oftentimes it's hard. You work out all summer, you know, a lot of them are working out in, you know, practice gyms or high school gyms, whatever. You're not getting the same environment as an arena, you know? So these are some things that, you know, you can't, it's not a hundred percent practice. And that's why uh, the transfer from practice to games will never be a hundred percent because there's always going to be uh, some of these things that you just can't replicate in a practice setting. But in terms of creating uh, game shots, to me, I do think if you're gonna call something a game like or a game shot, it has to have a defensive player and a passing option. Um, and the reason being, uh, how do you know whether or not you're open? And so that decision is dependent on the defensive player. And so part of, of improving as a shooter is being able to shoot uh, with less space between you, you know, and the defensive player or, or to take less time to shoot. And so if you never practice with defense, it's hard to know, and especially in live defense, it's hard to learn how much space you actually need to feel open because an open shot for players is gonna be different depending on, again, their skill level, their confidence um, and their perception of what open is. Um, because if, if you stand right in front of me, but I feel like that's open, you, you know, I mean, um, hand down, man down, right. You can be standing in front of me, but if your hand's not up and I'm a great shooter, I think I'm open. Right. Whereas, uh, you know, somebody who's just learning how to shoot, they might need eight, 10, 15 feet of space for themselves to feel open. And you see, you know, I mean, I remember a clinic I did in Chicago a long time ago. Uh, I mean, the players that I was working with were like in third and fourth grade now, and they're going to be seniors in high school. So, uh, and I did, I did this drill, you know, where we, you know, it was, I forget, I think it was a four on two shooting drill. So there were only two defensive players. So basically everybody was open to some extent on the catch, right? Um, and as you watched, players would hesitate on the catch. They didn't know whether they should shoot or not. And it got to the point where, you know, parents in the stands were getting anxious, you know, I mean, this was just a clinic. It was a clinic for one, one, you know, school. Like it wasn't even like, uh, you know, different schools and it was competitive or whatever. It was just, it was just a clinic for, you know, one elementary school. Um, 
and you could you could just feel the parents getting tense you know watching their son they're like shoot it shoot it you know <laughs> and because the the players would they'd be open but they wouldn't know they wouldn't realize they were open and they wouldn't know if their teammate was more open right because they're waiting until the catch and then they were looking and seeing oh oh yeah oh well now it's too late now i gotta pass the ball you know or you know they might catch the ball open, but they might think their teammates better shooters. So they're actually just trying to make that pass anyway. And so you don't really learn what open is unless you're in those situations where you have to make that decision of, am I open to shoot this shot? You know, or, you know, is the defensive player closing too fast? I need a shot fake and go, or I need a pass ball, whatever, whatever the next decision is. Um, so to me, you know, and, and I, I credit Harry Manon and uh, my friend from Finland. Um, you know, he's kind of the, the one that really emphasized that it's not just defense, but it's also the, the passing option. Like if, if it's a true game shot, you have to have that option because otherwise it's not the same as a game, right? You know, if I catch the ball, if we're just doing a contested shooting drill, um, there's no evaluation of whether my shot's a better shot than my teammate. You know, whereas in a game, if I catch the ball on a ball reversal, you know, I might be open. I might feel, but, you know, it might be that good to great, you know, that the Spurs preach so much. I might, I might catch the ball. I might have a good shot, but my teammate might have a great shot. And so, you know, I mean, I, I, somebody criticized me on Twitter because I commented on somebody's uh, tweet about AAU basketball this week. Um, Cause it said, you know, I, I tracked two players and they only took, you know, 15 shots all weekend right and so my comment my first comment was well that's you're only you're basically saying that the only thing the only skill is shooting right but what i thought about after that and i didn't go back and post because people were already mad at me but <laughs> you're you're also assuming that the only thing about shooting is actually taking the shot that player that took 15 shots they might have turned down 10 other or 15 other potential shots that they decided, nope, I'm going to drive a closeout or nope, I'm going to make that extra pass, you know? And this is something, I mean, I even, I tried to do a, a small little uh, uh, research, um, you know, study on this when I was in, uh, when I was getting my PhD, but, you know, I couldn't really work out. I couldn't make it, um, you know, kind of valid enough, but, we, we tend to only evaluate decisions that are made um, that, are, that lead to an immediate action. We don't evaluate decisions that lead to non-actions, right? So, you know, if my best player is wide open and she passes up a shot, that's a bad decision. But we rarely ever talk about that as a bad decision. Whereas if she takes a contested shot, we might say, oh, yep, that's a bad decision, right? And so, um, you know, the, the post, the tweet or whatever, you know, it was just focusing on the actions that actually occurred. And a lot of the mistakes are that happen and they go unnoticed and we don't give feedback towards are the, are the mistakes of omission for, you know, a lack of a better term. But, but when I do, when I, make a decision but it's not to make an action so whether that's i had a teammate who was open and i just didn't pass it to that teammate or i had an open shot or i had an open lane to drive but i held the ball right um because i didn't turn it over so the only time it becomes 
you know, kind of a box score stat is when I actually do something, you know, so if I, you know, if I make that pass and I throw it out of bounds, you know, I get a turnover. So then we talk about the bad pass, but if my teammate was wide open and I don't pass the ball, I don't get a turnover. So we don't talk about that. Um, so to get back to the, you know, original question, I really do think that not every drill has to be game-like or, you know, competitive, but if we want to say something is a game-like shooting drill, to me, we do need a defender and we do need um, a passing option. That's when great. You, when, yeah. when you mentioned, when you say passion, passing option, that's uh, on the catch. It's not the person passing the ball to them. Correct. Yes. So, so when, I, have when the, I catch the, so if you're passing the ball to me and Kevin's in the corner and I'm on the wing, right. And a defensive player, I have to decide whether that defensive player closing out to me, whether I'm open and I've got a good shot or whether maybe I should pass the ball to Kevin and let him shoot it. Okay. Yeah. Let me jump in really quick. I want both of your opinions on this. I do a lot of shooting drills. Uh, we do a lot of shooting drills off the shoot away the gun. I, I think you get a lot of reps. Um, we do a lot of what we call one more drills. And that is I'll say, let's say we run, we run a lot of drive and kick action. Um, and our girls are required. If they're open, they shoot it. All right, there, there's no, there's no second guess, but we have a wing drive to the middle. We have one defender that will step out and play. The girls got to make that decision. Do they kick out? Do they go to the corner pass? I like doing shooting drills like that. Uh, and then there's a rotation there and so forth, but I like the one more theory, Brian and Mike, what do you guys think about that? When I, when we practiced. Go ahead, Brian. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's more or less what I'm talking about. I mean, um, if my only problem, I, I, I suppose is if you're telling the player that every single time, you know, I catch on the wing, I have to pass to the corner. No, not at all. Because um, then, yeah. then you're not really making a decision, right? Yeah. Um, you're you're giving them the idea. It's it's kind of like the first step. You know, you're giving them the idea. You're you're trying to kind of encourage that philosophy. Um, but to me, if if the coach is making the decision or the drill is is doing the deciding for the player, to me that's not game like. Um. You know, to me, you know that's just more like a general shooting drill. And if we put general shooting drills on a spectrum, it's probably better than other ways to do general shooting drills. Um, but to me, it's, it, it's not a game like uh, shot because the player's not actually making the decision to pass or shoot. Totally agree. We, we, uh, we allow them to make reads. So if okay. that, first, that first kick out pass, if the girl goes, the defender goes to the takes away, try to take away the corner, then she's got to shoot it right there. So okay, okay. I definitely believe in reads. And I always praise their decision-making rather than the made shot. Um, at least I try to. <laughs> so. yeah, typically what I'll do, I'll do a lot of those, if I have the numbers in a session, uh, you know, I'll do a lot of those driving kicks, you know, with, uh, but sometimes I'll, I'll do a drive kick and close so that the player that, is doing the driving, they kick it out, they immediately close and try to block the shot. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, so that if I don't have enough to actually have a defender to run yeah. out there, yeah, sure. I'll have them kick and close, and that, you know, does about the same thing. I love it. I love it. 
coaches, let's a uh, two of my favorite people, and I just listened to him the other day. Chris Oliver, basketball immersion. Mark Cassio, uh, who I think is one of the best high school coaches in America, coaches at Catholic High School in Louisiana. Um, they were talking the other day about random and block practice. You hear that over and over and over again. Brian, man, share your thoughts on that, the difference between the two, or what do you believe in? Um, well, I mean, the difference basically is, is uh, block. I mean, typically we just refer to it as, as um, you know, random versus block, but it, there's really four categories. You've got, um, I'm slipping my mind. Um, you've got variable and random, and then you've got um, blocked and uh, I forget the other fourth one, but um, constant. Um, sorry. So a constant block practice is like if I'm just going to shoot free throws, right? So I'm only doing one skill and I'm only doing, you know, one version of that one skill. Whereas, uh, so that's kind of, um, you know, if you put them on, you know, a graph, if you will, that'd be kind of the most simple kind of practice, right? Uh, one skill, one version of the skill. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, the most complex kind of form of practice will be random. Man, it's such a pleasure to be on Championship Vision Podcast, one of the premier podcasts for top high school coaches and rising coaches in the game of basketball. My name is Michael Williams, and I'm the founder of the Williams Advancement Agency. WAA is a full-service agency here to assist all coaches at every level to be successful in the position they are now and obtain the future coaching position they're looking for. Hey coaches, this is Nick Bartlett, marketing manager here at Dr. Dish Basketball, and we're thrilled to be a part of the 2020 Championship Vision Virtual Clinic. Coach Kevin Furtado has been a great friend of ours for a few years now, and we greatly appreciate his commitment to growing the game the right way and providing great resources to the basketball coaching community. At Dr. Dish, we're always here to help as well with our state-of-the-art equipment, drills, and content. If you're ready to upgrade to the best training machines in the world and join top programs like Duke, North Carolina, Florida, Louisville, and countless others, we'd love to have you as a part of the Dr. Dish family. Remember, we take trade-ins on all shooting machines, including competitors, for significant discounts. And just by registering for this clinic, you're eligible to receive an additional exclusive $300 off your next Dr. Dish purchase. For more information, visit our website at drdishbasketball.com, give us a call, or shoot me an email directly at nick at drdishbasketball.com and make sure to follow us on all social media channels at drdishbball. Variable practice. And so that would be you're incorporating multiple skills and multiple versions of those skills, right? And so, you know, like, like I'm saying, a, a defended shooting drill where, uh, you know, the player's moving around, the defense is moving around, you've got a passing option. So you're including, you know, defense, shooting, you know, let's say we're doing off a driving kick, you know, like you guys are talking about. So now we've got dribbling, passing, defense, shooting, all in one drill. Um, and as long as, you know, it's not where, you know, we have a line set up and so we're doing it, but we're, you know, we're basically all, we're always shooting from the right corner and we're always, you know, dribbling, you know, straight in on, you know, if, it, if there's some variability to it and, you know, the players are allowed to move around a little bit. Now we're on kind of the far other spectrum of random variable practice. Um, excuse me. And so, uh, you know, I mean, most of the motor lear learning literature comes from 
more simple tasks as opposed to, uh, you know, the complexity of playing a team sport. But um, research tends to show that, that with the exception of absolute beginners, um, random variable practice is going to transfer better to game performance, or I should say should, is going to transfer better than uh, constant block practice. Uh, transfer essentially is what we want. Uh, it's, what, it's the point of practice. You know, we don't practice to improve practice performance. We, we practice to improve game performance, right? And so when we talk about sports, that's the transfer, taking a skill that we learned in practice and implementing it in the game, that's essentially transfer from a motor learning standpoint. And so that's really the goal of practice is we want to do things in practice and we want to see them happen in games. Um, and so, you know, like I said, random variable practice is going to tend to transfer better to from practice to games than block constant practice. That doesn't mean that block constant practice is wrong. Um, it just means it's not going to transfer as well. So, you know, if, if you're, let's say you're working on the younger end and you need to introduce something in kind of an isolated or block, you know, kind of standpoint, that's fine. But, you know, I mean, when I was young, we used to do these isolated drills. You know, when I, when I played, we do these isolated drills. You know, we do a shooting drill for 10 minutes, then we do a passing drill for 10 minutes, then we do a defense drill for 10 minutes, and then we get to play a five-on-five full-court game for like the last five minutes of practice, right? And so we're expecting that all these skills, really techniques, that we practiced in isolation are going to somehow all come together when we play against defensive players, right? So not only do the the different skills have to work together that we hadn't practiced even those together, but now we have to take these skills that we practiced, you know, undefended and uncontested and execute them against defensive players. And then we make lots of turnovers and then we go, well, we practiced this yesterday. You know, we practiced passing yesterday. Well, yeah, but you did a two line passing drill, making stationary passes. Now you're asking a player to dribble up the court make an entry pass, you know, into, a, you know, into your offensive system, uh, you know, where I'm defended, you're defended, and somehow I've got to pass you the ball. And that has absolutely nothing in relation to what you did in practice in your two-line passing drill. Um, and so that's when we talk about transfer and we talk about basically the goal is we want to move down the spectrum. So if we need to start uh, with block constant practice, we need to get towards random variable practice because that's what's going to transfer better to the games. How quickly you move that, that's kind of the art of coaching. Whether you actually need to start with block constant practice, again, that's, that's the coach's decision. You know, I think too many coaches assume that you need to start with, uh, you know, block constant practice, especially as you get to older players. Whereas, you know, I would say, you know, when I go into practice, you know, I want to start you know, somewhere along that spectrum. And if, you know, we can't, if we're playing a two on two full court drill and we're missing a ton of layups, well, maybe now we simplify it back and we practice layups. You know, we always talk about progressing drills, um, you know, progressing practice. And we kind of think of things in a linear standpoint where we go from simple 
you know, we add something, we add something, add something, and finally we get to complex. Instead, we can start and you can regress as well. You don't always have to progress. You can always regress. Um, and so I think that's something that, um, you know, is, is often not talked about or is misunderstood. Um, I also think there's this, you know, I get this question a lot. I, I think there's a misperception or misconceptions that uh, skill development only occurs in constant block practice. I had a division one coach come into my junior college practice two years ago, you know, watch a two hour practice or, you know, 90 minute practice. Um, you know, most of the practice, you know, typical practice, dynamic warm up. Then we do a transition drill, play a lot of two on two half court, working on pick and roll offense and defense. Then we might do a shooting drill. You know, we might play some ball handling tag you know, at, at the end of our warm-up, then we probably played some three-on-three, three, some four-on-four, five-on-five, et cetera. Um, you know, coach comes up to me after practice. I love your practice, everything you do. It's great. It's great. It's awesome. Do you ever do anything for skill development? And I was like, you know, <laughs> our whole practice was skill development. Yeah. You didn't see me call a single play. You know, we play five-on-five five scrimmages. I don't call timeouts. The players call timeout. To me, you know, that's still skill development. I mean, they're working on taking everything that we did in one-on-one, two-on-two, three-on-three, four-on-four, and putting into play five-on-five without me. I'm not on the side going, all right, run one, play two, play three. This time you guys got to play zone. You got to, you got, nah, they're, they're deciding, okay, we're going to play zone. We're going to press. We're going to, you know, and, and we do, you know, end game situations, stuff like that. And to me, that's all learning. That's all skill development. Those are, those are tactical skills that at that level of play are a definite part of the skill of a basketball player. You know, I mean, if, if you watch a college player, an NBA player or something, and they have no concept of what to do, you know, at, at the end of a game or, or whatever, and you're, that's because we're not working on that skill. You know, we're depending We built it that, well, you know, the coach will call timeout so the players don't have to think, you know, the coach will tell them to shoot the ball. The coach will tell them what play to run, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, to me, I think that's part of skill development. I want my players to know, you know, what play to run in what situation. If we've got, if we get the ball back with eight seconds to go, you know, with women's basketball, we're allowed to call timeout and advance the ball. We've got eight seconds left. Do we want to advance the ball or do we want to go off, off the make and, and just go? I don't, I want my players to know they, and they, and not just know, okay, we're going to call timeout, but I want them to know why, or I want them to know eight seconds left. We're just going to go and let's try to catch them off guard. If it's five seconds or less, yeah, we're going to call timeout. Let's advance the ball, run a sideline out of bounds. You know, I want them to understand those things before we get in the game. And to me, you know, that strategy and those tactics, that skill development at that level of play, obviously, if you're coaching eighth graders, that's, you know, not important compared to, to the level where they are, right? But when, when you're coaching players that are already at the college, you know, division one, you know, professional level, to me, that is skill development. So when, he, when this coach is like, you know, do anything for skill development, to me, our entire practice is skill development. You know, occasionally we do a little bit of game planning, stuff, stuff like this, but this was like an October practice, you know? And so, you know, I mean, small-sided games, you know, everything we do has a defensive player there because that's skill to me. That's you don't play basketball without defense. You know, you have to be able, whatever skill it is, 
you know, shooting, dribbling, you know, defense, help defense, et cetera, et cetera. If you can't do that in practice against live players, how are you expected to do it, you know, in, uh, in game situations against, you know, I mean, you know, most people would have said most of the teams we played were better than us, you know, so how are they supposed to go from playing against air in practice to playing against players better than them in games? I love that. I'm going to have Mike interject here in a second. So you feel like the biggest problem is I think some coaches feel like, Hey, if I'm not drilling, then it doesn't look like I'm coaching. If I'm just letting them play, but you're a, you're a games approach guy. It sounds like, it sounds like you let kids figure things out, which I think is not used enough. Um, you think coaches are just, they have the fear of, Hey, I'm not coaching. I'm not doing coaching. Uh, but they should really be doing less coaching, right? Is that what you're saying? Or more emphasis? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with the point. I would say, um, yes, I agree that there should be, uh, you know, a greater use of constrained games, small-sided games, et cetera, in practice. Um, but I would, I would suggest that that is not less coaching. It's actually more coaching. It's, it's. Uh, more complex coaching to me so it's easy to go on youtube put in shooting drills and find a shooting drill take it to your practice say okay we're going to do this you know i mean and that's what you know coaches go to coaching clinics for right if they don't leave with 40 different drills they're not happy right they need they need 40 drills and they need a new zone office right that's why we go to coaching clinics right so you know we have this mentality, you know, and to me, I kind of, uh, well, one, I would say, if you're going to use a drill, a drill should solve a problem, right? So if I just say, all right, let's start practice, let's go three-man weave, okay? It's easy, everybody does it, nobody's going to complain, nobody's gonna tell you you're doing it wrong, but why are you doing a three-man weave? there's probably some valid reasons why you're doing that drill, but you know what they are, you know, because if you're telling me, Oh, well, we had 20 turnovers last game. So we need to work on passing. <laughs> and your answer is to do a three man weave. I'm going to say, you probably don't know what you're doing. No offense. You know, you need to come up with a drill drill to solve your problem. Why did you commit 20 turnovers last game? Was it because you played a press? You were getting trapped. How in the world is a three-man weave going to improve your player's ability to pass out of a trap, right? We need to come up with a game that's or a drill or, to, you know, I mean, to me, if you're getting trapped, you're going to have to have defensive players in the drill, right? So I'm going to make it a game. You know, we need to do something to work on passing out of a trap, you know? So we need to work on spacing. We need to work on court awareness. We need to work on pass fakes, all these things, you know, and three-man weave is not going to address any of that so what i see here and i guess what i would you know tend to criticize is you know coaches you know we get the books you know we go to the clinics we get we get our our list of drills that are appropriate for our level of play and then we say okay well i've got an hour and a half today so i'm going to do these six drills and then we'll scrimmage at the end right and so well why are you doing those drills like practice isn't about filling up time right you should have a reason and if you don't have a reason just scrimmage right if you don't have a reason to do something and that that's kind of my i guess philosophy if you will start with five on five 
And if, if you don't have a problem that you need to address, that you need to simplify, or you need to get more reps than you can get in something, than you can get in a five on five scrimmage, then just play five on five. But if you say, okay, well, you know, if we're pressing each other, uh, you know, let's say we're going starters against subs, my subs aren't good enough to put enough pressure on the starters, uh, you know, in a five on five, it's not going to stimulate what we're going to face when we're playing this really good team. Okay. So let's play five on four on five, make your starters or play five on six, right? Do something that makes them work harder, makes approximates what they're going to face in a game. Um, don't, don't say, well, you know, my subs aren't good enough. So we're just going to do some, uh, you know, stationary passing drills. And if we can throw the ball harder, maybe we'll bring out some medicine balls and we'll throw the ball harder and that'll solve our turnover problem. Right. Um, you know, I, you start with the problem, you know, and drill solve the problem. And so if your problem is finishing, okay, what about finishing? Do you need to change from uh, going off one foot to two feet? Do you need to uh, finish through contact? Are you making bad decisions? You know, you're finishing when you should pass. You're passing when you should finish. You know, these are all different problems that need to be addressed with different solutions. And too often it's like, well, we missed a lot of layups last game. So let's go do a pregame layup drill. Everybody can come in 45 degree, perfect angle, three quarter speed. Let's make them up, you know, make them. You got to run if you miss. Okay, well, what's the running teaching them? It's teaching them to be scared, okay? It's not teaching them, it's not, you're not missing the layup because you're, you know, not coordinated enough to run or because you're, you know, not in condition or whatever the case may be, you're missing layups. Why? That's the question that needs to be answered. Why are we missing layups? And then we devise a drill around whatever that answer is. And so, you know, I, in evolution, um, of 180 shooter, the, the last shooting book I, I put out, I kind of used, um, there's a track coach, Anatoly um, Bondarchuk, and he, he has this kind of system of drills. And so I kind of adapted it for shooting, um, but I think it works for, for any skills really. And so it's the idea that you have general drills, you have specific drills, you have game-like, and then you have the actual com competition. And so general drills are most of the drills that we do uh, in practice. And so that's, we're going to do a three-man weave. We're going to do, you know, this passing drill. Most shooting drills kind of fit in that category. It's, it's kind of the uh, mentality of, we just need to get more reps. If we, if we get more reps, we'll improve, right? Specific drills to me are, we're attacking a specific problem, right? So, uh, you know, if, if uh, you know, our footwork's poor on our shooting, okay, well, we're going to do something that fixes uh, our footwork. And that, that doesn't mean we're just going to say, oh, well, run faster and do the same shooting drill. It's we should, why is the footwork wrong? What's, what's the problem? Are they off balance? Are they not decelerating all the way? You know, can they only step in left, right? But then they're sometimes they're jump stopping in games or sometimes they're stepping right, left, but they're not used to that. And so we either need to decide, nope, you can't do that. Or we need to expand their skills and say, well, we got to practice these different ways. You know, footwork, shooting, you could have a number of different reasons. And so we need to, that's where we're narrowing down. And that's kind of what we oftentimes think of as drills, um, but they have to be specific. We can't just say, oh, well, 
our footwork was bad. Uh, so let's do the shooting drill where you step into a shot. To me, that's not specific enough. I, I want to know what it might be. It might be specific enough for some players. Okay. But it might not help everybody. We might need to say, well, why, when you step in, you do an inside pivot on your right foot. Why? What's the problem? You know, is it that you're not getting turned far enough? Too far? Are you, you know, what's the problem with your footwork? And then we need to address, are you, is it just that we're traveling? So then we need to work through the problems of traveling. You know, so there's all different kinds of problems and we need to address them very specifically. Then we get to the game-like drills. And to me, those are constrained games or simulated games. And so that's where, um, you know, if I want to work, let's say, you know, we committed 20 turnovers because we faced a press, um, you know, in a trap, that's where I might say, okay, well, we're going to start, we're going to play, uh, you know, let's say four on five going, going to the far end. Um, and we're going to start out of a trap. So I'm setting the constraints. I'm, I'm putting it there and I'm making us work on one specific thing within kind of a, a game, game-like environment. You know, we're, we're trying to break the press to score at the other end. You know, it's not just, we're trying to make one pass out of a, out of a trap and then the drills over. Um, and then competitive is that small sided games or a full sided game. You know, that's two on two, three on three, four on four, five on five, you know, maybe even one on one. But um, to me, I prefer two on two because you have that, you know, passing option, you have the help defense option. You know, with two on two, you can kind of incorporate everything that happens in a game. Um, and it's, it's unconstrained. It's okay. Two on two, play. Three on three, play. Four on four, play. You know, as opposed to me kind of manipulating it to make sure that we're practicing, you know, one specific thing. Um, and so uh, I do think that there's the perception that if you're doing more drills, you're doing more work as a coach or you're a better coach or if you let players figure things out on their own or scrimmage on their own or you're playing too many games, you're too easy on your players or you're not really doing anything. I mean, I had a, I had a division one coach basically say that to me, um, you know, two years ago, he's like, well, your, your team's, your team last year was so good. You didn't even have to do anything. I was like, yeah, well, your dumbass didn't recruit a single one of the players, you know, Hey, I'll edit that <laughs> when they were, when they're in high school, when they're after their freshman year or after their sophomore year, you didn't recruit any of them. So how good were they really, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so, you know, I mean, uh, I think if you can create an engaging practice that keeps all your players involved as much as possible, that right. incorporates situations directly from the game. One, your players are going to enjoy it a lot more. But two, that is harder to do than picking a couple of drills off a list and saying, okay, go two-person shooting over here. Okay, now let's do some three-man weave. Okay, all right, let's do some zigzag drills. You know, and you're touching on all the different kind of skills that are, you know, look like, I mean, that's the idea of fake fundamentals, right? Like, you know, you're doing all these things that look like basketball, but they're not really things that are going to transfer to improved game performance. That's a great book, by the way. Yeah. Volume one and volume two. So I'm really <laughs> trying to promote your books. Um, <laughs> Thank hey, you. my, my jump in there because um, I mean, you, you, you don't have, you know, 10 kids in your practice. You're, 
you're doing player development. How do you incorporate or differentiate what Brian is saying right there? And I, I love his points. Uh, yeah, and that, you know, that whole the whole conversation started with, you know, random variable, you know, in a constant block. And, you know, that's that's something that, you know, when I, you know, I when I grew up, you know, playing long before AAU was even invented, I mean, that was that was the way everything was done. Constant block, constant block. You know, you're not shooting free throws good. Hey, go get 100 in in a row. You know, after 10 or 12, you're brain dead. I mean, it's just automatic and you're not really learning. And so, you know, I, I do, I don't, and I always tell my players, you can get better at shooting free throws without shooting free throws. And so, or from the free throw line. And so what I'll have them do, I mean, I have them, I'll have them shoot free throws from different spots on the court. And it won't always be that exact footage you know, from the rim, that might be a, a foot short, foot long, but they still are shooting them like free throws. And, the, and I usually have them do one or two in a spot and they got to move. And, you know, we do a lot of that. Uh, and I think what happens with coaches is, is they, you, you know, we, we, we don't see learning take place in a practice. You know, we see performance. We don't really know if the kids learn something unless it's transferred later. And early on in my training, I used to, I mean, I'd have parents come to me and say, Mike, you know, they do this stuff in your practice all the, and they look so good doing it in, in the drills and this, that, and the other, but they're not doing it in the game. You know, and, and, and my response back then, and I'm sure there's a lot of responses from trainers today is, well, I don't know what their problem is. They're doing it, you know, they do it for me. There must be something else going on in their head or something like that. I used to have that same mentality. Now, my mentality is if it's not transferring, then I'm not teaching it properly. You know, there may be on a rare occasion, a kid that's got, you know, I, I don't know what the reason might be, but they just don't want to do it or whatever. But the way I look at it is my responsibility as that player development coach to do everything I can, learn everything I can to help them learn more efficiently so that it transfers. I don't want it to just be, I don't, like Brian said, you know, we're, I'm not, I don't want them to just be great practice players. And that's what happens with a lot of kids on basketball teams. You know, little Johnny and Susie go home and tell mom and dad, you know, I make my shots in practice. I do really good in practice. And I don't know why I'm not playing in the games. Well, you know, most practices, most of the teammates play buddy ball. They don't really play each other hard. They don't want to embarrass each other. And, you know, and all those kind of different things. So they don't – they they're never going full speed like they would in a game. So they get in the game and they can't handle it. The brain and body just don't work together. So the whole random and variable stuff, I mean, I switched that up a long time ago. And a lot of that had to do with a lot of Brian's information. Um, and so – I think what coaches probably have a challenge with is, you know, when we're, you're talking about footwork and the, the little details and there could be, you know, multiple reasons that footwork's not working or the shot's not working. And does a coach, especially in season, do they really have the time in a practice to take care of that? And on the other end of that, do they even have the experience 
to see it and take care of it. Uh, you know, the school, you know, you're getting ready to go to, Kevin, when that school first opened, uh, I knew the coach at the time and he had me come in. I've worked with, worked with the girls for just months and months, several times a week as a team. But when I first went over there before I started, I'm standing there watching them in a practice. And it was your typical coach standing out top girl breaks out to the wing coach passes it to him. They shot fake and go. And I'm sitting there and the AD is standing there by me and I'm sitting there and I just kind of whispered to myself, travel, travel, good, travel. He goes, he said, what are you talking about traveling? I said, oh, your girls are traveling. I said, if they do it in here and you let it go, they're going to do it in the game. And so I think what happens is sometimes coaches just want to, like Brian said, you just want to get through it. You know, rep, 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 volume's good. You know, the way I tell my kids, don't train hard, train smart. And to me, part of smart training smart is obviously training hard when you need to, but there's times you don't need to. You need to be really smart at what you're doing and how you're doing it. And so I think that's a real challenge for a lot of coaches in the team setting. Uh, and, you know, and I, and maybe that's why I have a lot of coaches in around the area send kids to me all the time because they know that I'm going to take, you know, I'm going to do what I need to do to get them where they want them to be. Cause that's, and I can't, you know, I told you, I, you know, I get with the coaches. I say, okay, what's their role? What do you need them to do next year? And I will make sure I work on those things, but I'll also try to expand their role and let the player know you need to be doing other things so that maybe next year you can do even more later on in the season, you can do even more. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, to me, movement, this is something I got from Brian a long time ago. <laughs> you know, Brian's one of my mentors from afar <laughs> and uh, started out my imprint. You know, he was my print mentor. But uh, is to me, and, and I, had, I had, and I say this so much, one of, my, one of my kids gave me a mug that had this on it. It just says, movement matters. And to me, every sport's a movement sport. And your brain really doesn't care in basketball. If you're, I can go into, into a gym and pretty much shoot with any size ball. I can shoot a football, tennis ball, anything. And I'm going to, my brain will adjust. It'll adapt to the different size way, but I'll still make them. And so it's not so much the ball, it's the movement that matters. And so, you know, I do, I've tried to focus as much as I can on movements because to me, you know, we call them muscle memory, things like that, but it's a motor pattern. It's a, you know, it's a motor learning. And, and if I can get that as strong as I can get it through variant for, through the variable random practicing, through the deliberate practice, through the feedback when it needs to be there for the homework they need to be doing, all of those things, if I'm doing that right and I'm and tailoring it to the player the best I can, it's going to eventually transfer. And uh, of course, I also tell them you got to eat right. You got to get enough sleep. So you retain more of it the next day, you know, all that kind of good stuff comes into play, but it's just so important to get those movements down. And I've had players, I think the, the highest in season three point shooting girl I had, she shot 48%. Uh, she was with me about three years, shot about 48%. She was a hundred percent. Brian from the free throw line, and she was a guard. She was a two guard. 
until like the fifth game from the end of the season. She missed a couple. She ended up at 88%. She was very upset. And, uh, you know, I just told her, I said, girl, you were, you know, having a, you know, that's a lot of pressure. You think you're going to have 100% from the free throw line. But she, she wasn't the quickest of feet. I mean, she, she just was not a fast, quick girl. But what I did over those three years is we worked on her efficiency of her movement so that, you know, with her balance and control, you know, coordination, balance, control, we worked on all those things so that when she did move, she really didn't have a lot of wasted motion. And uh, she, she drove two hours one way to work with me for two years, twice a week, sometimes three. And she, she had a game her senior year, and she hadn't had really any offers. And an Ivy League school, Ivy League head coach came to watch another girl play. And my girl played 13 minutes, scored 16 points, had, I think she was like three or three on threes and deep. I mean, it was boring with her shooting high school threes. So we were really deep on her threes, really stretching her. But she got, the, the coach offered her after the game just in that 16 minutes. And, uh, and so my player called me and told me, so I called the coach the next day and we got talking and she said, she just mentioned, she goes, she's the quickest girl I've ever seen off the bounce with the ball. And I started kind of laughing and she said, well, why are you laughing? I said, coach, she's not quick. I said, what she is is efficient. I said, she's not going to beat anybody in a sprint. She's not going to beat anybody, you know, and those kind of things but she is very, very efficient. And she was a great decision maker. And, you know, and that's just those things we incorporated in over time. And it does take time. I mean, you know, it's not something these kids are gonna get overnight. It's not, you know, it's not like, you know, microwave popcorn type learning. It just doesn't happen that way. But that movement matters piece uh, is just massive to me. And uh, I typically start with players. I, I look, I watch how they move. I used, to, I, I still do evaluations on players, but when they come in, I do very little evaluating on their ball handling and stuff like that. I will watch them shoot. You know, I get my phone, I'll record them in slow motion just so I, you know, my eyes don't deceive me on things. But I'm putting them through movement type things to see if things skip, see if things balance, see if all that kind of stuff. And I didn't used to do that, but since I started that, you know, eight, nine years ago, it's just been unbelievable how my kids have progressed. At a Hello, my name is Coach Charlie Miller, Headmaster Trainer with the TAC Basketball Academy in Dallas, Texas. I'm here to promote the upcoming Championship Vision podcast clinic series brought to us by Coach Kevin Furtado from Lake Oconee Academy in Greensboro, Georgia. Coach Furtado is a well-respected, sought-after coach and found other coaches like him to share their best practices and secrets to success with players, parents, and teams. The clinic will provide two types of virtual clinics, lecture style via Zoomcast and on-court instructions with coaches and players. Again, my name is Coach Charlie Miller from Attack Basketball Academy, where we work with kids from third grade through high school in a positive and growth-oriented atmosphere that promotes a whole-body approach to well-being. Our programs are designed not only to improve your child's ability on the court, but also to teach him or her valuable skills that will serve them throughout their lives. Much faster rate and have learned more. And, uh, you know, and I owe, owe a lot of that. I mean, really a lot of that to Brian.
And one of the things I really, as far as my shooting, I, I, and I don't know where I heard it or read it from Brian or whatever, he had mentioned one time he, that he, that you can fix a lot of stuff in a player's technique waist up by fixing the waist down to start with. And I've had plenty of players that I have, you know, worked on their bottom half movement, rhythm, and those kind of things. And it just amazed me how the top half kind of took care of itself. Not that they were perfect, because I don't believe there's a perfect shooting technique, but, uh, and that's a whole other thing I'd like to kind of get into and discuss, because I know there's a lot of debate, and I know Brian loves that kind of stuff. But yeah, the, the movement matters, the variable practice, all that stuff, it's invaluable. Got to have it for learning. Yeah, that's great stuff, Mike. And I really appreciate you sharing the insight. Um, and I know you guys um, were kind of limited time and so forth. I know we can go on for hours here. Um, and you Brian, I, <laughs> I did. Hey, hey, you already set a record already, Coach Griggs. Uh, hey, no, I saw your podcast. I saw some longer than mine. I know that's true. That's true. I, <laughs> I don't know what the record is. Hey, Brian. Hey, I want you to. I want you to kind of piggyback on what Mike said. How do you handle mistakes? Okay, let's take that example. Okay, they, those those kids were traveling on a high number of possessions. Do you just send reminders to them? You have them have a consequence, like a push up or whatever. How do you teach mistakes or through mistakes? If that's a fair question. Uh, I mean, it depends on depends on the player, the situation, the environment, etc. I had a player. Um, who came, you know, again, the junior college level, and we were reworking her shot. And as at the beginning, you know, she was traveling all the time. And my assistant coach would go crazy. You know, she's traveling. I'm like, I don't care. We're working on her shooting right now. We'll, we'll get her feet work. We'll get her footwork. You know, we'll correct it. But, but we were fixing her footwork by changing it. And she just wasn't comfortable with it. And so she was traveling. And so it wasn't going to take a whole lot. Once we got the shot down, we got the coordination, we got the rhythm, then we could figure out the footwork. It was going to be fine. Um, and I mean, she got called for like two or three travels, like the whole season um, and got her scholarship that she wanted. So, um, you know, so it just depends, you know, I mean, and I, same thing I did back when I used to do a lot of training. I worked out with a high school player and a college player together. And the college player was kind of um, deciding whether to keep playing or to move into coaching. And uh, it was my first time working with a high school player. I knew, I knew the, the college player. And so the, um, the high school player, when we were doing these drills, he was traveling a lot um, and stuff. And, and, I, and I wasn't saying anything. Um, uh, you know, I was focused again, I was focused on his shooting. And so he, uh, after, after the workout, I, I talked to the college player, you know, cause he worked out with a bunch of different trainers in the area and stuff like that. And I was like, what'd you think? He's like, well, you know, it's good or whatever, but I like this other guy, like you let this kid get away with traveling and you didn't correct him enough and blah, 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 blah. I was like, what were we working on? I was like, well, we're working on shooting. I was like, if I stopped him every time he traveled, we'd get like eight shots up in, in an hour. Like you traveled every single time. I get it. Um, I'm like, but that's not, we're, we're talking about working with, you know, a ninth grader post player and trying to turn him into a guard. Right. And we're trying to work on different things. Um, so anyway, the college player ended up stopping his, his playing career and started to coach. 
And so he texted me during the season. He's like, yeah, I get it now. Uh, like, I understand why you weren't correcting him every single time and stuff. And the player ended up fine. And, you know, I mean, we worked things out. And the next session that I had with him, you know, now that we had kind of some of the basics of the shot down, now we started to pay a little bit more attention to his footwork. And, you know, I mean, it was just a matter of timing on the catch with the speed. It was fine. It was something that was going to be easy to solve. You know, if it's a game situation, we're traveling a lot. I mean, you know, some of it depends. I mean, sometimes players get called for traveling and they don't actually travel. Sometimes they travel and don't get called for traveling, you know? So, you know, I, I think about those things. Like, you know, I mean, I had a player who got called for traveling a lot and more than 50% of the time, it wasn't a travel. They just, it just looked like a travel. So the refs called it. I really ignored it with her and just figured, okay, once a game, we'll get called for traveling. It is what it is, you know, because I didn't want her thinking so much about not traveling that it affected her performance and other things, you know, just catch the ball, make your move. They call travel, they call travel. Like, what are you going to do? You know, refs aren't perfect. They're going to make mistakes, you know? Um, but, you know, I mean, if we're talking about younger players and they, you know, again, it's why are they traveling? You know, is it, they can't stop. Is it, they can't anticipate when they're going to stop. So then they take too many steps. Is it that they can't coordinate, you know, catching the ball with stopping to shoot. They need to take that extra step to get the balance or to get the rhythm. You know, again, these are all different, um, problems that require a different solution in that case, you know, like I said, that, that would probably be specific practice. So we're going to say, okay, well, you need to work on timing the catch, uh, better so that you don't travel. Okay. If you're going to take a one, two step, or if you're going to jump stop, you know, whatever you're teaching, we need to work on timing. So let's start with, you know, me a couple feet away and I'll throw you, you know, kind of loopy passes so that you can really get that timing. And we'll, you know, kind of separate out. We'll throw harder passes. Okay. Now we're going to do it off cuts. Okay. Now we're going to uh, do it while you're defended, you know, or you got somebody trailing and you got to do it with some speed and you got to get into your shot quicker, you know, and again, it's, it's starting with the problem, identifying, you know, what the actual specific problem is and then creating drills that attempt to solve that problem. And maybe the first one doesn't work. So then we try the second one, you know, um, Maybe the second one starts it, but then when we add a little bit of uh, complexity to it, maybe it breaks down. So maybe then we've got to regress again and try something different. And again, to me, this is, it's the art of coaching. It's what, um, and it, it, to me, it's what most coaches struggle with because you have to have the confidence to be able to think on your feet and you have to have the confidence to be wrong. You know, I mean, I'll do drills with players. No, okay, try this. Oh, yeah, that didn't work. Okay, let's stop doing that. Let's try this instead, you know? And, you know, I, I mean, I'm pretty confident, so I'm, I'm okay. I'll, I'll tell players, you know, nope, I messed that up. Look, ignore that. Forget about that. Let's do this, you know? Um, and I'm fine with that. Like, I don't care. Like, it's not about whether I'm right or wrong. It's about whether the player gets better, you know? And so, you know, that's why, I mean, to me, the big thing about skill development, it's, it's not a recipe, right? It's not a list of drills that you can take into practice to do. It's a matter of identifying what it is that we're working on. And it's not just about focusing on, on weaknesses. You know, I mean, I think 
sometimes players get caught up focusing so much on a weakness um, that you ignore their strengths, you know, and really they'd be a better player if you spent more time just building their strengths. You know, I mean, how much does somebody like Kyle Korver need to work on his ball handling, right? As opposed to just getting better and quicker, shooting the ball, getting off screens, getting into a shooting motion, being able to shoot, you know, with defensive players closer to him, you know, uh, being able to, to read a close defensive player, you know, pump fake, take one side dribble and shoot. Like, you know, I mean, he, you know, I mean, think of Clay Thompson, you know, the game, whatever he scored, you know, whatever it was that he scored, you know, 40 points on, you know, two dribbles or whatever it was like, does he really is, is his problem that he doesn't dribble well enough. And so we need to spend a ton of time working on his handles so that, you know, maybe once every three games, he crosses somebody over and gets to the rim or do we need to expand his strengths and keep, you know, working on getting a shot off a little bit quicker with a little defensive players, a little bit closer to him, um, you know, a little bit different variety of shots, et cetera, et cetera. You know, sometimes um, it's more a matter of, of really concentrating on the strengths and building the strengths as opposed to only focusing on the weaknesses. And I think with younger players, you know, the same idea sometimes can be true. Sometimes, you know, players lose confidence because we only give them feedback when they make mistakes, you know, as opposed to saying, Hey, you know, like with the player that I was working with, it was traveling all the time. Right. That's good. You know, you're making progress. That shot today is better than it was yesterday. You're getting there, you know, and just noticing that the, the positive improvements that we're making as opposed to, you know, stopping it every single time he traveled. Nope. You traveled. All right. Do it again. Nope. You traveled. Okay. Do it. Like how demotivating is it for a player if they make the same mistake over and over again? And all I'm doing is saying, do it over. You travel, do it over. You travel, do it over. Right. As opposed to say, yep. Nope. Your shot's getting better. That rhythm looks better. All right. Let's do a little bit quicker now. All right. Let's see if you can jump a little bit higher. Okay. Um, you know, let's, let's take a step further back. All right. Now let's see if we can time, time that catch with your, with your footwork a little bit better. Okay. Now we're getting a little bit better rhythm. Yeah, that's it. That's it. We're doing well, you know? And so we're focusing more on trying things and more on the positive and catching them. You know, I mean, I love uh, Tony uh, DeChico's book, the old uh, USA women's national team coach for soccer, you know, catch them being good, you know? So instead, yeah, instead of, instead of, uh, only commenting on players when they make mistakes, you know, find, find what they're good at and build those up. And then sometimes just building that confidence, players will improve their, their technique or whatever, because they're more confident, you know, they'll, you know, like Mike was saying, you know, some, some players, you know, you know, especially, you know, in the old style that he used to use practice, you know, they didn't transfer things to the game, you know, and a lot of times the missing part is the confidence, the confidence to try something new in a game. And if you're constantly, you know, if you're positive, you're reinforcing, you're encouraging players to try things, you know, that gives them. And, you know, if you're, if you're the coach, not just the trainer, if you're the coach and you let players make mistakes without yanking them out of the game, they're going to have more confidence to try new things. And, that simply might allow them to improve things that are unrelated, you know, by giving them the confidence, uh, you know, to shoot open shots, 
you know, maybe magically their footwork starts to improve because they're, you know, they're more engaged, they're more confident, they're more positive about their overall game. And so the details start to start to improve as well, even though you're not specifically, you know, instructing, you know, exactly what to do or addressing it or giving tons of feedback, et cetera, et cetera. It doesn't always work, you know, and that's, again, that's to me the art of coaching. You got to figure out, okay, well, I've been positive. I've tried to fix this. I'm trying to give him confidence. I'm not taking him out when he makes a mistake, but he's still making these mistakes. Okay. So what can we do? You know, what drills can we do to kind of try to solve these mistakes? Cause it's clearly, you know, it's, it's not necessarily a confidence issue. You know, it's, it's probably more of a technique. Maybe he doesn't understand. Maybe again, he's off balance. Okay. So it's not even a basketball issue. Now it's a movement issue, right? It's can he, what if we take the ball away? Can the player decelerate, you know, into, into a good position? No. Okay. Well, that's probably where we need to start. You know, I mean, when I used to do a lot of shooting clinics with younger players, first thing we did was learn how to stop, you know, because if you can't stop, you probably can't shoot, you know, you might be able to make free throws, right. But, you know, in a game, usually there's going to be some kind of motion, even if it's, you know, from a, from a stationary standpoint, you're just, you know, stepping towards the ball one, two, there's still a little bit of movement. And if you can't coordinate that movement, um, to derive strength for your shot, you know, and create the rhythm for your shot, nothing else in your shot is really going to matter. You know, there's no sense talking about your elbow or your follow through or anything like that if you don't have the beginning coordination. And so, you know, that's where we would start. All right, run and stop. Okay, run and stop, one, two. Okay, you did it left, right. Now do it right, left. Okay, now do a jump stop. All right, everybody's stopping on balance. Let's see if we can stop with a little bit more bend. Let's see if we can stop with a little less bend. You know, let's run a little bit faster. And so if we can stop in all these different situations in a position where we're not falling forward, right? Now we can get to a position where we can talk about shooting. You know, so it it might be that simple where, you know, players traveling just because they can't stop properly. Let's take away the ball. Let's see if they can stop without a ball. Nope, okay, that's, well, we've identified the problem. Now we create that drill to solve the problem. That's well said. Uh, uh, and I tell you what I love about it is I, I'm a believer. I coach girls. I've always coached girls. And the art of correction, that's, that's, your, that, that's your next book I'm going to help you produce, man, is the art of correction. Because I know with girls, if, you, if you're constantly on them about the same, like you were saying, you're going to lose them, particularly about shooting. Uh, and I really believe in the positive, find a positive, okay, find the, find the issue, but you got, you better have the solution. Uh, you better have the correction, but you have to do it in the right way. Uh, do you believe in praise loudly, correct softly? Do you believe in that theory as well? I, I definitely do. Yeah, for the most part, you know, I mean, you know, every situation is different. You know, I think, uh, you know, I think when you get on, you know, like, you know, like Popovich always talks about how, you know, coachable, you know, Duncan was and stuff like that. And he could yell at Duncan and, and that ends up having a positive effect because, you know, all the players see, okay, well, Duncan takes this and Pop treats Duncan this way, you know, and he's a superstar. Well, then I got to be able to take it too, you know? So I think there's, there's sometimes where you need to use different tactics. Um, But yeah, I mean, most, most of the extra, I would say 
you know, most of the individual kind of instruction that I give, you know, to players, um, you know, it's, it's off to the side, you know, like it's, it's between reps, you know, here, come here. Did you think about this? You know, what'd you see on that time? You know, um, it's not, all right, everybody stop because I want to talk to this one player, you know, I mean, obviously there's times where I stop things and we talk because, you know, we've had three players make the same mistake, you know, in a row. Okay. Let's, so I don't have to talk to every single person on the team individually. Let's just go ahead and address this. Right. Um, you know, but, but again, in that situation, I'm not like calling one player. I'm like, okay, you know, we need to do this, you know, and it's as a group. Um, so I think, you know, I mean, in general, I would agree with that, but I think there are different reasons why you can do uh, different things and, and, and instruct and give feedback in different ways. Yeah, I love that. And I, I love what you call, we call it reminders. And I use my assistant coach with that. We, have, we send them off to the side and she does corrections and reminders and actually physically goes through it with them really quick. And then we put them back in. That's how, that's how we coach our kids. Um, but uh, hey, Mike, I want you to ask one final question for Brian on, um, on how can he help? What, what advice can he give you to help you in your current workouts and so forth that um, you, you know, you're seeking to make your players better? Yeah, I think, I guess one of the biggest challenges is how, I mean, is how to maybe to motivate better uh, for them to do things on their own at home. Hmm, you know, it's one thing. <laughs> with what I'm doing and I, I can tell them and I, you know, I can tell them, you know, you're only going to be as good as you want to be and, you know, all those kind of things. Uh, but is, is there anything, and, you know, for the most part they do, but, you know, they're kids, they're teenagers, they got a lot of distractions. Right. Uh, so what kind of ideas maybe do you have that could help in that area? Um, well, I mean, the, what I used to tell players when I did a bunch of individual training is, if, if I could tell that they weren't working, you know, if we worked once a week, if they weren't working in between workouts, I'd stop working with them. You know, I told them, I'm like, look, I'm not a babysitter, right? Like I'm here to help you improve. And I'm only with you one hour a week. There's only so much I can do. You know, I'm trying to give you things, give you tools that you need to practice on your own. And I'm not just going to steal your parents' money just because I can right? If you're not going to put in the time, then, then I'm not going to work with you anymore. So that's kind of the, the one end, the, the more positive kind of approach I would say is, you know, I mean, be creative, you know, like, um, uh, Paul Kepke, a coach that I've done some clinics for up in, um, uh, Michigan. Like, I think he create, he used to like create, uh, he, he bought a bunch of, you know, the, uh, like the live strong, um you know wristbands oh yeah, yeah um and he he would like make his own you know i mean you can buy like 500 for like you know penny a penny each or something right and he would make he'd make his own and so you know he'd set like goals for players so if they made so many shots or whatever at some point they would earn you know the the red wristband at some point they'd get the white wristband the black you know whatever and so you know, I'm basically like using the, the idea of, uh, you know, karate belts, 
um, you know, or martial arts belts, um, you know, if they achieve something or, if, uh, you know, they, they reach a certain level or they, they did something, some certain amount of practice, um, you know, they, they'd get a wristband, you know, and I mean, you can use it for your marketing, you know, and just put your name on it so they can wear the, the Mike Griggs wristband to school or whatever. Right. But, uh, um, you know, I mean, so that's, that's, uh, that, that to me, you know, there's the negative, you know, kind of reinforcement, you know, that might be better with, you know, kind of the older players, you know, look, I can't make you better. You've got to want to be better. And I only want to work with players who want to be better. So if you don't show me that you're going to do the work outside of practice, you know, then you're going to have to find another trainer that's going to take your money, you know? Um, and then, you know, then there's the more positive, you know, especially going to be more, tend to be more effective for the younger players, um, you know, of, you know, creating some kind of reward or reinforcement, um, you know, so, so that, uh, you know, it's a kind of a, a small way to hold them accountable, but in a positive standpoint, right? Because they're, they're working to earn something as opposed to working to avoid punishment, right. if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Okay, appreciate it. Yeah, that's great. That's great information right there. I'm, I'm, I'm going to look at definitely those wristbands. I, I always try little little prizes and gimmicks with the girls and so forth. So now we're trying our 10,000 shot program, Coach Griggs. So we're hoping uh, a lot of your kids reach that mark. Uh, well, and I've already told you girls, the ones I have, I said, if I'm ever up there, you know, text me. I said, you can always get on the other end. I let them use the gun. If I, and I said, you can go to it. So they said they'd take me up on it. So that's right. That's right. We're going to challenge. We're trying to build a new program up there. Coach Greg's going to be a, a big part of our development, uh, Brian, and so forth. And I appreciate you coming on and joining us. Uh, you, yeah, offered, yeah, you offered some great insight. Uh, I definitely want to stay in touch. Um, I love what you're doing for the game. All those, I really recommend to all the coaches out there, you got to buy some of his material. It's really innovative. I think it's some I, of it. You got to buy all of it. I, okay. Sorry, I mean, Brian. There's, there's <laughs> nuggets and all that stuff. There's no doubt about that. Um, it's great. It's all great stuff. Brian, what's your one? Hey, first of all, what if you if they had to buy maybe one book or one key concept that you really believe in for the coaches out there? What I mean, or I mean, what what, what would you tell them? Um from the book standpoint, it, you know, I mean, it depends on, you know, their interest. I generally recommend for, for kind of the coaches, of the younger groups, I usually recommend crossover. Um, the new model for youth basketball development it has the most drills of any of the books I've written. Um, it's probably got the, the most kind of basic material and covers the most, uh, most general kind of uh, information. Um, otherwise I either recommend the 21st century basketball practice, you know, mm -hmm. I think, especially for high school coaches, or I really like, you know, evolution of 180 shooter, um, you know, cause it's, it's the latest book that I, I wrote. So it's kind of like, you know, my most recent feelings. And then I talk in it, I talk about a lot of the players that I worked with when I was a junior college head coach, um, you know, cause we had, we had some pretty good success, uh, developing shooters there. That's awesome. And what's the best way to get a hold of you if somebody wanted to contact you? Um, 
I mean, usually just Twitter, it's at Brian McCormick. Uh, if you message me, uh, or if, I mean, if you just, you know, tweet at me, I'll, I'll message you and uh, give out my number and email or whatever, you know, but I have, you know, 180shooter.com is my website. Um, you know, so you, there's a, I think there's a, um, whatever it's called, uh, um, contact form on 180 shooter. Okay. And then I'm on, I'm on Instagram. It's at 180 shooter on Instagram. Um, I don't check that as often. Um, you're probably better off on Twitter, but I am there, um, in some form. Now, where's the, where's the, uh, I know I've gotten some of your stuff off Amazon, your books. Is that a good place or off from your website? Yeah, I, th I think all of them are available on Amazon. If it's not available on Amazon, one or two of the early books might not be on Amazon, but everything else is at lulu.com slash spotlight slash Brian McCormick um, has all everything that I've written. That's awesome. Hey, Brian, I'm running a, um, uh, a what I call my legends clinics out here in the fall. I'm definitely going to give you an invite. I would love to have okay, you come out here to Georgia. I got coaches from all over the country coming in uh, out here to Walnut Grove. So I call it legends on the Grove. It's going to be, <laughs> I usually have it at my old school, but now I'm switching it over Mike Greg. So um, I, I would love to have you come out and share with us, Georgia coaches. Okay. Yeah, that'd be great. Coach Griggs. Coach yes, McCormick, y'all, thank you for coming on, man. I appreciate you guys sharing. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Take care, guys. Good to see you All again, right. Brian. All right. <laughs> this is Mike May, creator and owner of Practice Planner Live Software. I'm excited about partnering with Kevin Furtado and Championship Vision Podcasts. We share a common passion of helping basketball coaches be more effective in their profession. With over 26 years of basketball coaching experience, I created Practice Planner Live with the purpose of saving coaches valuable time in creating efficient and effective practice plans. John Wooden once said, if you fail to prepare, you prepare to fail. Practice Planner Live can take your practice planning to a whole nother level with tools and functionality that will maximize your team's ability to reach their potential.